here we are. We come back to Ephesians. As most of you know, we're going through a study of Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. We're in the fifth chapter. And we've come now to this section on family relationships, marriage, and so forth. So we're doing a series within a series. We just slowed down a little bit and we're focusing uh, right now on this important uh, topic of marriage. As, as you know, there's much talk among Christians today about the attack on marriage we see happening in our culture. And it's true that marriage as an institution is under attack by the secularist. But the more immediate problems in marriage have little or nothing to do with the humanist assault on marriage and much more to do with the indifference, neglect, unforgiveness, abuse, infidelity that goes on right in the hearts and homes of couples, many of whom go to church regularly, but beyond that fail to apply God's word to themselves practically. So we can talk about the, you know, the issues in the culture with marriage and the attack upon marriage, but sometimes uh, it, it's, we ourselves are the ones who are really undermining uh, the institution of marriage right under our own roofs. And so these passages that we're looking at, they're passages that speak specifically to this vitally important subject. As I was in preparation last night, as I just paused for a few minutes and I was scrolling through my Twitter feed, for those of you who know what that is, um, I came across this quote. I thought it was relevant to our topic today. It said this, the most rebellious countercultural thing you can do in our society is to be happily married until death do you part. And I thought, wow, you know, how appropriate it is and how relevant it is. And who would have ever thought that being happily married and being permanently married would become the, um, the, the unusual situation in our nation. But to a certain degree, that is where we've come to. Now, we're looking today specifically at the role of the husband. We looked previously at the role of the wife. And let me say this. I believe that the husband does, in many ways, hold the key to the marriage relationship. Now, granted, it takes two to have a good marriage, but the primary responsibility for the marriage is on the husband's shoulders. And out of all the marital counseling I've done over the years, I would have to say that not all, but the majority of cases and the majority of problems in marriages could be traced back to the husband's failure to really do what we're being instructed to do here. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. The tragic fact is that women are generally 
much more serious about their marriages uh, about their marriages than men are. Seen that over and over again. Eighty percent of all literature on the subject is purchased by women, and women are most always the the first ones to spot a problem in the relationship and the first ones to seek help. But it shouldn't be the case if we understand the marriage relationship from the biblical perspective because uh, the onus in the relationship is really put on the men. And so we see that here in these verses. Verse 25, let me read from 25 on through 32. Paul says here, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And so here, those words, husbands, love your wives. But before we dissect that, let me remind you once again that there's a bigger picture here. And Paul stated it as we have previously seen in verse 32. In verse 32, he says that this whole thing, this whole marriage thing is really, it's an illustration. It is an illustration of Christ's relationship to the church. So husbands, we need to think uh, in terms that go beyond just our own personal marital situation. We need to think of the bigger picture that I as a husband and my wife in relation to me and my family and so forth, all of this is a picture that God is seeking to use to illustrate to people uh, his relationship and his love for his people. We need to, I think, keep going back and framing the whole marital relationship in, in that frame. To me, it, it gives it even more, um, or it gives me even more of an impetus to, you know, I wanna do this right. Because it's not only about my own personal experience, but it's about a much bigger thing. And so, putting it in that frame, let's look at what Paul says. He says, husbands, love your wives. Now, as was pointed out previously, this is the the Greek word that Paul uses here is the word agape. Husbands, love your wives. Agape is the word that is being used here. The word, many people don't know this, but the word agape, the, the Greek word, was a word that wasn't the most common word in the Greek for love, although it was one word. It wasn't used all that often. Uh, And the Christians took the word and really sort of made it their word. And in a sense, 
brought definition to it. As a matter of fact, we just read together 1 Corinthians 13, verses four through eight there, love is patient, love is kind, so forth. Uh, That's Paul's definition of this word. The word means love that springs from the preciousness of the object loved. So it's a love that is not um, seeking to get something in return. It's a love that is, is going forth simply because the, the, the object is precious. And so husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Uh, why did Jesus love us? Well, it's not because he would get something back from it. In case you don't know this, God doesn't need anything. God does not need our love. God is perfectly and entirely fulfilled within himself. If he wasn't, he couldn't be God. He would would be deficient in some way. God has no deficiency whatsoever. So God didn't create people and then redeem us because he needed us to feel good. He, He did it just simply because we were precious to him without a cause. There was no cause other than our preciousness. So, so that's the love that Christ has for the church. That's the love that we as husbands are to have for our wives. I'm not loving my wife to get something back from her, although that does happen, but I'm loving her because she's precious to me. And so the word could also be understood as a love that gives without expectation of receiving something in return. Now, love, we have to remember, is not predominantly a feeling. Although feelings are attached to it and sometimes they're more obvious than at other times, but it's, it's not primarily a feeling. If we think of it in terms of a feeling, we're gonna be confused and we're gonna come and say, well, you know, I'm not in love anymore. So uh, my love has run out and I think it's time for me to move on. Love is not a feeling primarily. Love is an act of the will. Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. Uh, Do you think as Jesus was making his way to the cross that he had warm, fuzzy feelings about that? He didn't. You can be assured of that. He was sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. He said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to the point of death. He was in anguish like nobody else has ever known, but this was his act of love as he was going to the cross. So let's get clear on this uh, love as a feeling thing, because this is where so many people stumble. And I've personally heard it over and over again. Um, well, I, I'm no longer in love, which is translated, I no longer have the feelings that I once had for this person. When you took vows, you were vowing uh, to be committed to that person, not uh, based upon feeling but simply based upon the fact that you were going to be faithful to that person that you were committing yourself to. And so love is an act of the will. It is not a feeling. 
Now, Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So this love is a sacrificial love. It's a love that Jesus demonstrated for us in that he gave of himself. Now, we need to think back a little bit further even uh, from the cross because the cross is the, the final demonstration of his giving of himself. But remember, he began this whole process by leaving heaven and coming to earth. So he gave of himself there. He gave sacrificially. He gave away his uh, privileges as God, and he condescends. He comes into this world. He comes as a man, not just coming as a man, although that's an extreme act of sacrifice, but he comes as a servant. And then as a servant, he actually gives up his life. So husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself. So we have the example in Jesus. He gave himself. Now, giving of ourselves, sometimes we overlook the obvious or we overlook the most uh, simple ways that we can do this. And we're, we're, we're thinking of it in the sense of, like Jesus gave his life, well, you know, as a husband, I might say to my wife, honey, you know, I'd give my life for you. I, I, I would lay down my life for you. If there was a speeding car coming by, I'd pull you out of the way and I'd let it kill me. I, that, that's how much I love you. And then your wife says, that is so sweet. Could, could we go to the mall today? Are you kidding? I'm not going to go to the mall. What are you talking? I hate the mall. I'm not going shopping. I'll throw myself in front of a car for you, but I, 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 won't, I won't go down to South Coast Plaza. So, so sometimes, you know, we're talking about, you know, this great sacrificial love that I, I have. And, uh, but then when we get the opportunity to, to demonstrate something that is far less uh, a demonstration than that, we just, no, I can't do that. So giving, this whole thing of giving ourselves, it's very practical. It's very down to earth. And it starts with giving our time, giving our time, doing things and going places that your wife in, enjoys or desires, Ben. Now, listen, I want to say this uh, up front here. Here's the great news about all this stuff. The great news is that this is all happening in a, in a process. I don't know hardly anyone that gets this right all the time or got it right from the beginning. And this is the beautiful thing about it. It's, it's, we, ladies, listen, your husband, he's a work in progress. And you got to remember that. He's not going to get this stuff right all the time. And sometimes it's going to take uh, a while. But if you hang in there, and if you, you know, husband and wife both, you just, just be faithful. This, this is the growth and the development that takes place over time. 
And I can say that from experience, giving time, doing things and going places that my wife enjoys. When we were young, I didn't really think in those terms. I was the one who was going to call the shots about what we were going to do and when we were going to do it and where we were going to do it. And uh, I didn't really consult her or consider her on those things. And after a while, you figure out this is not working that well. And so you have to make certain adjustments. And, but you begin to realize, you know, it's not all about me. Now, when, I, when Cheryl and I first got married, I, ha- I have to confess that in my mind, this is how developed my thinking was on marriage at the time, I just thought, you know, we're going to go to the beach, I'm going to surf, she's going to sit there and watch me, and then we'll go home and she'll make like a killer lunch and I'll eat it and then I'll take a nap and then uh, at night we'll go to church and in the morning I'll get up and read my Bible and, uh, you know, so... Cheryl, for me, in the early days, was, she was just like this really great helper that was going to come alongside and make a lot of things easier for me and a lot more pleasant with good meals and things like that. But I, I wasn't thinking in terms of, I'm, I'm going to be giving myself for her. And so when she started to say things like, well, I don't want to go to the beach. I don't want to sit there and watch you surf. I, I want to do something else. I'd be like, what? Are you kidding? I mean, what about all those things that you told me, like how much you wanted to marry a surfer and stuff? You got one. Look, here I am. And this is what we do. (laughs) I could tell you so many horror stories, but you probably wouldn't like me anymore. So I'll, I'll keep them to myself. Giving of your time. It's not about us although it's hard for us to face that fact. And, and just some of these, these things that are, are pretty simple, really. You know, they're relatively easy. They're, they're kind of small things, but it's the smaller things that add up. And see, this is what happens when you start to have a breakdown in a marriage. It's usually because there's an accumulation of things over a period of time where there's just been... Uh, over and over again, the same sort of self-centered behavior by the husband, the same refusal to take into consideration the sensitivity, the needs of the woman. And then finally, one day, the girl's just over it. It's like, you know, I can't do this anymore. So men, we have got to be on our toes with this. We need to give. Christ gave. Time is something that we need to give. We need to give our wives attention. We need to give attention. Now, this is, um, in my experience, this is largely a one-way street, but it's okay because God told the husbands to give, not the wives. Now, my wife, and I know some of you ladies, you've listened to her, and you've heard the stories about how I'm in love with my phone and I, you know, spend all my time tweeting and texting and ignoring her and things like that. And... um, I must confess that there are times when I seem to be doing that, but I'm not really doing that because I can multitask. I can listen to her. (laughs) I can be attentive. And I can do that at the same time. She doesn't believe that's possible. But the reason it's a one-way street is because, honestly, if 
she picks up the phone and, and wants to do that sort of thing. And I even suggest that she should put it down and pay attention to me. Well, that's offensive to her. How dare me say that? Because I do that all the time. So she should be able to do it uh, anytime she feels like it as well. Uh, so it's a lopsided view, but nevertheless, it is what it is. And we have this little dispute <laughs> at least a couple of times a week. And Cheryl has concluded that my phone is just more exciting than her phone because she will grab my phone and she will spend 25 minutes looking at my pictures and my things. And I say, see, honey, the problem is just you have a boring uh, group of people that you're following. You're beginning to understand why I have this obsession. So giving attention, <laughs> listening, Communication, communication, Every, everybody almost who's married has heard this probably, but it's true. One of the big problems in marriages, one of the first places where there's a breakdown is communication. People don't communicate. They don't listen to each other. They oftentimes don't talk to each other. So in giving, we're giving of our time, and this is what we're doing. We're giving time to listen to one another. We're giving time to talk to one another. We're communicating with one another. And, you know, of course, men are similar. Women are similar. You, you have occasionally, you find, you know, there, there's a man that in some ways is a little bit different than most guys, you know, he's sensitive, he's attentive, he's interested, uh, but those are few and far between. Uh, most guys are <laughs> not like that. So I'll give you an example. Um, I might say to Cheryl, so what happened today? And then for the next 30 minutes, she will give me a blow-by-blow -blow account of all the things that happened that day, very detailed descriptions of things that happened. So then in turn, she says to me, well, what happened to your day? Oh, nothing. <laughs> I don't know. A couple things. I kind of forgot them already. So, uh, <laughs> you know, she's like, can, can you be more descriptive? I mean, come on, something more than that happened today. Yeah, I did, but I, I just can't remember. I can't, uh, I don't think that way. She's amazing at details. And I'm not. But these are the kinds of things that you, like I said, we're, we're in a process and there's time and you start figuring these things out after a while. I've talked to couples who get married and after a year they're thinking, okay, this marriage can never last because we are so different than each other. But the fact of the matter is, in the long run, those differences end up being important things where you complement one another. But back to the husband giving of himself, giving attention to our wives. I mean, we need to be attentive. We need to, to listen. We need to be concerned. We need to hear the things that they're saying to us. Because sometimes they can say something and we hear it audibly, but we don't really hear it. We don't, we're not paying close enough attention to know that there really is something here that needs to be understood. Peter says to the husband, he says, husbands, dwell with your wives with understanding. 
giving um, honor to them as the weaker vessel. So the husband has an obligation to understand the wife. You have to know what she's thinking. You have to know what she needs. You have to know why she feels the way she feels and how you can help. That, that's an obligation that we have. Husbands, dwell with your wives with understanding. So when your wife says to you, uh, you know, I, I just feel like you're neglecting me. Don't say, no, I'm not. Say, oh, okay, in, like in what way am I neglecting you? Get some understanding. Listen to what they're telling you. That's what it means to dwell with them with understanding. So even though you might not think that you're being negligent, um, the fact of the matter, from her perspective, you might be. And if from her perspective you are be, then uh, you are, then you actually are being negligent because dwelling with her according to understanding. So, so this is where Paul starts. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And then he adds that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So this giving of himself, this loving that Christ has for the church, it's all for the benefit of blessing and building up the church. So Paul says we're, we're to do likewise. Now, it's almost like Paul realizes, okay, wait, I'm, I'm writing to men here, so I need to probably uh, expand on this a little bit. And maybe this, you know, loving as Christ of the church and um, gave himself and so forth, this might be a little too much for some guys to really grasp. So Paul's gonna take it and he's going to make it even more uh, comprehensible and he does it like this. He says, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. So we get that one. Oh, right, okay, yeah. Um, I love myself. We love ourselves. And, and listen, Paul's not putting, this is not a put down. This is just a reality. Self-love is a fact of human nature. We love ourselves. And as men, we love ourselves. We're thinking about ourselves. And so Paul says, okay, just as you love yourself and you're concerned primarily about yourself, take that and transfer it over to your wife. Love your wife as you love yourself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. So Paul is appealing to something that we can all identify with. Men, we have the same, we are to have the same concern, care, compassion, and love for our wives as we do for ourselves. So again, this isn't a put down, it's just a reality. I wanna take care of myself. I wanna make sure I'm, hung, I'm, I'm fed. I wanna make sure I'm rested. I want to make sure I'm groomed. I want to make sure, you know, all, all of those things. It's just natural. This is human nature. So Paul is appealing to that element. Now, just, just like you would do this for yourself, now do this for your wife. So practically speaking, what does that look like? Well, first, let me point out things that we would never do if we are loving our wives as ourselves. 
we would never be abusive to our wives. Now, abuse, domestic violence, those kinds of things, those are big issues in our culture today, right? And at times, you even find that these things exist within the church among Christians. But there should never, under any circumstances, be physical abuse in the marital relationship. Any man who's physically abusing his wife needs to stop it immediately. And anyone who's claiming to be a Christian and physically abusing his wife needs to wake up and realize, you know, uh, you're mistreating God's property. You're mistreating God's daughter. Uh, You don't want to do that because there is uh, a day of accountability that will come along where you're going to have to give uh, an answer to God as to why you treated his daughter so poorly. That's a reality that we need to face. So any kind of physical abuse should not exist in the Christian home, in the relationship between the husband and the wife. But there's more than physical abuse. There can also be emotional abuse. You know, some guys will brag, well, I've never laid a hand on my wife, but they've mentally tortured them. They've emotionally tortured them. They do so through um, mind games, mental manipulation. I've seen cases where guys intentionally flirt with other women uh, just to keep their wife in uh, a a place where they can control them, just knowing, hey, any time I could leave you for somebody else, just keep them uh, just off balance so they can never really be secure. That's a mind game. That's an emotional, uh, that's a form of emotional abuse. It's a sin. If you're a married guy flirting with other women, you're in sin. So these kinds of things should never be done. Verbal abuse has no place in the relationship between the Christian husband and his wife. We're not to shout and scream and get in the face of your wife and call her names and things like that. People do this. And it's contrary to how Jesus treats the church. And of course, it's contrary to the way you treat yourself. You, you wouldn't do, do this to yourself. No sane person will abuse themselves. And you would never want to be treated this way yourself. But as a man, you're stronger. You're, you, have, you've, you, know, you have the upper hand and, and you do these things. These things should be unthinkable for the Christian man. Now, Again, it's possible that we've been guilty of these things. And there's grace, there's forgiveness. But we, we can't keep, if, if this is any kind of a pattern, this is problematic. I mean, there's occasional outbursts. There's times where we've said things we shouldn't have said. There's times when we might have been playing little games or whatever. Uh, maybe there's times when things have gotten really heated and maybe even a little bit physical. But we need to know these are wrong and they should never be taking place among us. One time Cheryl and I were in a, a marathon argument. This is when we were very young and newly married. And we, at the end, we didn't even remember how the argument started. It went on for so long. It was like a five-hour marathon argument. And at a certain point, 
I called her a name, and I called her Dog Lips. I don't even know. I never... Where, I don't even know where that word came from, dog lips. But I, I said it, and she was looking straight at me, and all of a sudden, she started laughing. She's like, dog lips? Where did you ever come up with that? Dogs don't have lips. And then we went on to laugh, and then we finally reconciled, and by the end, we couldn't even remember how the fight started. But you know, I, I've never called her dog lips since then. <laughs> We're not to do those kinds of things. So, no abuse. Secondly, we should never intentionally neglect our wives. Now, I say intentionally, intentionally, because we can unintentionally neglect, right? I mean, we don't always know if we're being negligent. Sometimes we might know, but there's other times, like I said, there's times when Cheryl will say, I'm, well, you're neglecting me, and I respond, no, I'm not. But the fact of the matter is, she thinks I am, so I am. But I'm not intentionally doing it. It's just, I'm just doing it. I'm, I'm too busy. I'm preoccupied. I'm not thinking about her. I'm thinking more about myself and so forth. So we should never intentionally neglect our wives. Thirdly, we should be careful not to take our wives for granted. Now, again, I say be careful because we can easily do this stuff, right? We can just take them for granted. We're not, we're not necessarily meaning to do it, but we do. We just, oh, this is my wife. This is what she does. And I never tell her thank you. And I never show her any appreciation. I just take for granted she's always going to be here. She's always going to do this. And we shouldn't do that. We need to be thankful. We need to be appreciative. We need to uh, voice that to our wives. We need to let them know. I make it a point to always tell my wife how much I appreciate, um, you know, when she makes dinner, as she cleans the house, you know, those kinds of things. I just tell her, hey, what a great meal, or the dinner, lo- the dinner looked good, the, the house looks good, or whatever. I make it a point, and you know, she appreciates that. I don't want to take her for granted. Years ago, when we were living in the UK, uh, Cheryl and I were in, like, probably the biggest fight we have ever been in. And one of those just knocked down, drag out, you know, we were, we were in a, the, the fight of all fights. And right in the midst of this, a friend of ours showed up at the door. And if, I mean, this added insult to injury because we were partially fighting about my insensitivity, always inviting people to come over and stay with us without letting Cheryl know. And then all the burden and responsibility falling on her to, you know, take care of everybody, clean up after everybody. And I told her uh, very um, insensitively that she was not being a servant, and that she uh, was in the flesh, and that just exacerbated the problem. But anyway, uh, all of a sudden, the friend shows up at the door, and here's another one of those things that caused the fight. He just showed up because I told him, and I forgot to tell her that he was there and so forth. So uh, (laughs) there we were, and we, we were just having, like I said, the biggest fight of all time. And 
So it got so intense, I just finally said to him, I said, you know, look, it is not safe for you to be here. Um, I, I'm going to take you over and you can stay with some other people. So we got in the car and we were driving over. And this was one of those times where, you know, I was absolutely sure that I was right. And it was one of those times that I was not going to back down. I, I was not going to give in. I, we were going to fight this thing out. And in my mind, Cheryl was going to admit wrong. She was going to admit that she was wrong in this, and I was going to hold my ground. So I'm, I'm telling my friend all of this on the way over and explaining to him why he needed to go somewhere else. And so he, he's listening patiently, and then he says, well, Brian, you know, uh, I, I understand that. He said, but let me tell you something that happened recently. And I didn't know this, but he proceeded to tell me that his wife had a brain tumor, that they had discovered that she had a brain tumor. And uh, it ended up being benign, and she had surgery, and she's fine. But, you know, so he's telling me this whole thing, and he said, and you know, just for, for a moment, I thought, wow, I, I might lose her. And he said, and I realized how I had taken her for granted, and I realized how so often I'd been petty about things, and I just thought, you know, I never want to do this again, and I want to appreciate her, and I, I never want to fight over these petty things again. And, you know, so he's looking to me, and he's pretty much just saying, you know, listen, you need to really reconsider your position. And, you know, so he, he finishes up, and he's staring at me, and I'm staring at him, and I just looked at him, and I said, well, listen, I get it, but my wife doesn't have a brain tumor, so... Uh, I'm glad you feel that way. I don't. That's all. Now, today, I can admit that I was so extremely hard-hearted at that point. It was absolutely horrible. We finally got things sorted out, as you can tell. We're still married. But, um, but you know, taking for granted, we, we can easily do that. And so these are the things that we don't want to do, the things that we shouldn't do. They're things that we wouldn't do in regard to ourselves. But now what about the positive side of things? Well, Paul uses two words here. He says we are to nourish them and we are to cherish them as Christ does the church. So nourish, we are to nourish. The idea behind the word nourish is to build up, to bring to maturity. And so... What he's telling us is, men, we are to treat our wives in ways that will build them up, strengthen them, as well as help them attain their full potential in Christ. That's what I'm to do. I'm to be making an investment in my wife to the end that she will grow stronger and become the person that God intends for her to be. And God has an, inten an intention for your wife, men, that's distinct from you. She's not just to be your wife. She's not your slave. She's not there just to do the things that you think she should do. She has a certain amount of independence from you. She has a relationship with Christ. And in nourishing her, you are contributing to her growth and her development and her entering into all that God has for her. And how do we nourish them? We nourish them with kindness. Kindness is tremendously nourishing. We nourish them with practical assistance. We come alongside of them and we, we assist them. We give them help. We nourish them with prayer. Husbands, do you pray for your wives? Praying for your wife is such an important thing. 
pray for them. In doing so, this is part of that nourishing that he's talking about here. Pray for them, but then help them too. practically assist them. Come alongside. Take off the, uh, the burden that they bear and give them a break. Let them have opportunities to, to seek the Lord and to uh, you know, develop themselves and, and not to always be under the burden of having to make sure that everything's functioning. And you know, that's so often the wife is the one who's weighed down with all of those responsibilities. And I know for my wife, sometimes just the, the smallest little thing will be such a blessing to her. I always have this conviction. She makes, you know, she's a great cook. She makes great dinners and she uh, goes to a lot of trouble. And when I sit down and eat a great meal that she's made, you know, I feel guilty if I don't do the dishes for her. I just feel like, you know, she made all the food. She labored. She went out and bought it. She labored to make it. She served it all up. And, you know, to me, it's just to think that, okay, now you go clean that up and I'm going to go play or do whatever. I just, to me, I just can't do that these days. I just feel this obligation. No, I, honey, you go. You did all of this work. You go do whatever and um, I'll take care of it. And you know, that just blesses her. She is so blessed by that. She is so thankful. It's amazing how easy it is to please her, really. But the practical assistance, just doing those little things. And for me, this is an area where God has just had to whittle away at me over the years. Because it's those, those little things that are inconvenient. It's like, oh, I don't want to do that. You know, so she sends me to the market and she gives me a list and I go and I get the stuff and I come home and she's like, oh, you forgot this. No, I didn't forget it. You didn't put it on the list. Look, the list is right here. It's not in here. Oh, okay, well, I needed it. Oh, you don't really need it that bad, do you? Yes, I need it. Oh, come on, we can get by without it. No, we can't. okay. This is Cheryl speaking. Okay, I'll go. That's fine. I'll go. You, you, just, you just sit here, play with your phone. It's fine. I'll go. <laughs> All right. I'll go. But next time, can't you just tell me the first time everything that we need? But, you know, little things like that. But here's what I'm saying. I'm confessing to you that this is an area where the Lord keeps whittling away at me. You know, why don't you just say, oh, honey, I'd love to go back to the store for you for the 10th time today. That is not a problem at all. Because I love you so much, I will gladly go to the store. That's what I should do. <laughs> I'm not quite there yet, but I'm working on it. It's only taken 34 years to get this far. <laughs> but, you know, it's, sometimes it's, it's those little things. And like I said, when I do them, and if I do them without any complaint or without any resistance, then it's just, she's just amazed. Oh, you love me. She really knows I love her when I do those things. But the other word he uses here is cherish. Now, we know what it is to cherish something, right? Men, we know what it is to cherish things. You have a nice car, perhaps, that you cherish, you take care of that car. You make sure it's shined up. 
you deem it as something precious, something to hold near and dear. If somebody dared to scratch it, you would kill them if you could because you cherish that automobile or you cherish that bike or you cherish those golf clubs. You wouldn't even let your best friend use them. Or whatever it is, we know what it's like as men. It's amazing how men can get into things and cherish things, hold them near and dear to us. That's, we, we just, you know, we're like that, right? And you got something and man, you just love this thing and you're making sure you're taking care of it and oh, if anybody were to mess with it or even, like I said, even, even suggest, hey, could I maybe borrow that? Oh, no, 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 we don't do that. Well, I don't loan this out to anybody. You cherish it, okay? Well, we do stuff like that. Do that with your wife. That's what we're talking about here. Cherish your wife. See her as precious. Hold her near and dear to you. That's what we're being told here. So you see, if we are doing these things, men... You know, this is where a woman thrives. This is, this is when, like we said last time, when the, when the wife is doing her role or fulfilling her role and the man is fulfilling his role, it, it's a good thing. But here, the man has the taller order for sure. But the wife's call to submission is really connected back to this when when we're loving our wives as Christ loved the church, I know in my case at least, my wife is, you know, she's so compliant. She's ready to do anything. It doesn't matter because she knows she's loved. She's secure. And this is how the Lord wants our wives to be. He wants them to be uh, treated like he treats the church. And that brings a blessing in your home and that sends a message to your children and to your extended family. And it goes right out from there. And people look at that and they say, wow, that's amazing. So that's what marriage is to be like. You know, I don't say this uh, at all in a prideful way because like I've already told you a lot of the stupid things I've done, but there's a million more. I could have spent hours telling you uh, stupid things I've done over the years. Uh, and I'm, you know, <laughs> lady came up afterward, after last service and said, it's so good to know you're not perfect, but I never thought you were in the first place. <laughs> so well, I'm glad you didn't because I've never uh, wanted to give the impression that I was. Uh, but we, we have this happen occasionally and it's, it's really a blessing because it's where you see that as, as imperfectly as we do this, it's still sending the, the kind of message that God wants to send. Because all the time we will have people say something to us if we're out maybe that, you know, we go to places people see us frequently, they come up and we've had young people come up and say, you know, well, we just watched you guys and, you know, if I ever get married, I want to have a marriage like this. Or somebody will send us a little note. Um, Man, I, I really love what God's doing in your marriage and my wife and I, you know, maybe a younger couple, we, we want to be like that. And that's the way it should be. That's the way God wants it to be. 
And like I said, we do it very imperfectly, but just the fact that we're trying to do it at all, that in and of itself is, is enough to send a message out. So men, this is a tall order. And it, it really can't be done except through the power of Christ working in us. And that's what we all have to remember. We need that work of God's spirit. That's why Paul said back in verse 18, be being filled with the spirit continually. We need to continue filling with the spirit. We need to uh, be sensitive to the continued conviction of the spirit. And we need to take these things to heart We need to realize there's a day of accountability because my wife is God's property that he's loaned to me. But there's also a bigger picture here. Christ is wanting to show the world what it's like to be in a relationship with God. And he wants to use our marriages to do that. So may God help us. And if you've failed, we've all failed. And know this, there's grace, there's mercy, there's forgiveness. And the great thing is you can just get a fresh start. And sometimes that's what you've got to do. You know, I've been in counseling situations where uh, there's conflict and argument and accusation and finger pointing and blame and all of that. And I, I've actually said to people, you know, we could, we could sit here and seemingly we could just do this forever. Or... We could stop right now and ask God to help you both forgive one another. And then guess what? You can start with a clean slate. You can start fresh. That's the beauty of what we have in the gospel. That's the beauty of what we have through Christ. We can forgive each other and we can start over. I can be convicted and know that I've failed completely, but know that that's not the end necessarily, but know that there's redemption that God can take things and he can turn them around. And if I've truly repented, I can come and just say, Lord, help me to do this right. And you might've had lots of years of what you see as a bad marriage. You might've, as a, as a husband, maybe it's been a lot of years that you haven't done anything like what we're talking about here today. But guess what? You can start today. By the grace of God, you can start today. You can receive his forgiveness, his grace, and his strength to be the husband that he wants you to be.